continuing our series, a series of seven psalms. We've got a few weeks that we're going to be doing that now. And, you know, being back in Texas, you know, my parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. And so you kind of, uh, I'm finding out more and more how rare that is to be 30 and still be able to go visit your childhood home. And it looks almost exactly as it did. And so as I was there, I was kind of reminded of a lot of memories, you know, the kind of memories, nostalgia kind of floods you when you're seeing an old place that you used to, that you grew up in. But I was reminded of something connected with the Psalms. Growing up in my house, reading the Psalms was just kind of a part of our every day. Almost every single morning, with only a few exceptions, we would start our day reading a proverb and a psalm. And it kind of got me uh, remembering or thinking about this. And you might think, okay, well, that's nice. How, how sweet, you know, family reading the Bible together. And it may seem trivial, but I am convinced, I'm completely convinced that it has had a huge impact on shaping and forming me into the person I am today, hopefully for the better. But it definitely had an impact on my life. And it's with that in mind that I'm excited about where we're at, that we're diving into this, uh, looking at the Psalms. And I would hope, and it's my prayer for all of us, myself included, so I'm definitely not really great at this, but uh, it would be my hope that we would get excited again, get hungry for the, the Word of God, and get excited about this book, and that we'd be challenged to pick up this habit of reading the Bible on a daily basis. And something that uh, I know we all may fall short of at times, but uh, the Psalms are just a great place to start. And I would hope that this would kind of ignite a love for God's Word in you and make you excited about wanting to know more and to dive in deeper and to read it on a daily basis. And uh, our Psalm for today is going to be Psalm 16. Before we, we're going to read all the way through the Psalm. And then we're going to kind of break it down verse by verse. I think it's a a great one to do that. And before we dive into it, I want to share a few things with you. One is that this is one of my favorite verses, or favorite passages. I love Psalm 16. It's uh, for its context and just kind of what it says and how it's applied. It can be applied to, I believe, anyone's lives, but also uh, just... On a personal note, just in how it's kind of encouraged me and, and, up and lifted me up and affected me at different times in my life. So I'm excited that we're going to be going through this one. And I believe that today, God wants to use this psalm to speak into your life. I believe that with all my heart. He wants to encourage you, to strengthen you, and to bring edification for all of us as a congregation today, and for an edification for us on an individual basis. I believe that there is a purpose and a plan in what God wants to say through this psalm today to all of us. It's a great and uplifting psalm for all of us, especially for those who are believers, who call on the name of the Lord, who look to Him as their sovereign Lord, as adopted into God's family. It's really geared in for that. And so I want to encourage all of you to be kind of having your, have your hearts open, have your ears open, be ready to receive what God wants to say and the truth that he wants to speak 
into your life today through this passage that we're going to be looking at. And uh, I say that to myself as well. It's, uh, again, it's one that I, I personally love this passage, and uh, I believe that uh, I'm reminded of the desperate place that we all are in, that we all come to this kind of level playing field of a desperate need for a Savior, a desperate need for a sovereign God in our lives to be our refuge, our strength, our encouragement, our counselor, as we're going to look at today. And uh, so with that in mind, I think that none of us could leave here, or none of us are here by accident, none of us could leave here without hearing something of that truth as we go through this text. Uh, Before we do, I just want to pray, give this time over to the Lord, and I'm going to ask if, Bex, could you bring a glass of water? It's like 10,000 degrees up here. So... I know it's really cool out there, though. You guys are just... No. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this psalm that we can dive into and we can look at something that was written so long ago by David, a man after your heart, and we can apply it to our lives today, God. We can be inspired and encouraged and hopefully challenged by this text that it would be something that directs us and gives us a truth about you that we can use in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read this psalm all the way through. As I said, if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it, to turn it on, and, uh, or I guess it'll be on the screen as well, and so you can uh, read along. But it's important or good to read along. It's just another way to get this truth to be sticking into our hearts as we're reading it. That's going to be empty. So, Psalm 16, a merktam of David. It's most likely a musical term, but most importantly, it's a writing. And uh, it was definitely a song that was sung uh, by the Israelites, and uh, it was definitely well-known throughout history. And, uh, but for all intents and purposes, David is the one who wrote this. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say to the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take out their names take up their names on my lips lord you alone are my portion and my cup you make my lot secure the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places surely i have a delightful inheritance i will praise the lord who counsels me even at night my heart instructs me i keep my eyes always on the lord with him At my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. 
So something I found as I was looking uh, at different kind of resources on this text is uh, John Piper, who wrote uh, kind of a commentary on this. He, he sums up the whole passage as, as the main point in a statement, and it's, he's much, much wiser and more experienced than me, and so I'm going to use his sentence as this kind of a prerequisite so we can kind of have something in our mind of what we're diving into. And then we'll, as we go through it verse by verse, it's good to kind of see, all right, what, what is the main point? What is the truth that we're going to be digesting as we go through it? So here's his sentence. God will bring you body and soul through life and death to full and everlasting pleasure. That's really good news. But here's the transition. If, if he is your safest refuge and your supreme treasure and your sovereign Lord and your trusted counselor. So in a nutshell, what we're seeing in this passage is that we're being brought through life to everlasting life, to joy, to fulfillment, to pleasure in God if he is your God, if he is your Lord of lords. And that's kind of what we're going to be having in the back of our mind as we go through this text. So let's start with verse 1. Verse 1 starts as this kind of petition. And this is interesting because we'll see how David kind of transitions by the end. He does that a lot in his Psalms. Sometimes they start off with, you know, God, where are you? And then it's, you know, wherever I go, there you are. So he has this kind of, you know, that's a style, I guess, in the way he writes. And we see that here as well. Verse 1 starts with this kind of cry out to God, keep me safe, my God. This kind of, I need you, keep me safe in this situation I'm in. Kind of points out that there was probably a place of maybe fear or struggle that this came out of. We don't know. We don't know exactly what was going on. But it was clearly from this place of, you know, God, keep me. I need you. Help me. For in you I take refuge. Now, what's really important is that for. Because another way of saying for, he's really saying because. So we could switch this around. God, Because I'm going to you, because I look to you as my refuge, help me, keep me, take care of me. Because I look to you. Now, I've had prayers that start like that. God, help me. God, I need you. God, protect me in this situation I'm in. God, I want to, I need you. And David is reasoning with God God, keep me because I'm coming to you. Keep me at least because I'm coming to you, if for no other reason than because it's to you that I've come. And this is actually good reasoning when it comes to this kind of, what we see here in this text. Because by going to God, even out of a desperate place, even out of a place of of fear, or doubt, or hurt. 
you're also at the same time declaring to God and declaring with your actions that, uh, that you believe he is the one that has an answer, that he is the one that can protect you. He is the one that can be your refuge. So David seems to be kind of reasoning with God, laying out his case. And so when we make, make him the first place that we turn... Even out of desperation, we're declaring him as our refuge. We can use that to say, Lord, keep me because I'm coming to you. I'm not going over here. I'm not going to something else. I'm coming to you. So keep me, Father. I'm putting my trust in you. Verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Or the first part of verse 2. So here's another declaration. I say to the Lord. Now that's important because he's not saying to a Lord or a God. He's saying you are the Lord. There is none above you. And uh, in most translations, Lord, the first I say to the Lord is all capitalized, which means it would be translated Yahweh. So he's saying you are sovereign Lord. But... You're also my Lord. I see you not only as the God, creator of all things, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that I've learned about from childhood as the only true God, but I also see you as my God. I put you as Lord and sovereign over my life. You are my master, my sovereign Lord, and I trust in you. So he's, we see he is, God is his refuge. He's the one that he turns to, even, out of, even if it's out of desperation. And he, we also see that he trusts him as sovereign. You are the Lord of lords. There is no other. You are the Lord, and you are also my Lord. And I trust you with my life to be sovereign over my life. And the second part of that. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I have no good thing. And this is where I, I see the key element of this whole passage start to come out. David has put God, and this is the words of John Piper, as supreme treasure, as his treasure. He's saying there's nothing better, there's nothing above There's nothing greater than God. He is my ultimate desire, my ultimate treasure. And I want to, I mean, when we talk, I love that, I love treasure because, you know, treasure is something that, you know, you really want. People don't kind of want treasure. People don't dig up treasure and then bury it again. It's something that you want passionately. And just this, supreme desire and treasure and that's what David puts God as in his life and this raises the question you know where are we looking to for our own treasure what is the treasure in our lives because that that portion of our hearts of our desire belongs only to God without him we have no good thing. 
He is our supreme treasure. And David will transition to the other side of this in verse 4. So we'll get to that in a bit. First, verse 3. I say to the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. This is a really fascinating verse to me. Because I feel like it's so distant from the way that we think today. So far from how we would kind of want to use this, these kind of terms. So I want to spend a little bit of time on this. Because this is really how we could... What this means for us today is this is how we relate, how we see the saints, the Christians, the believers today. How do we see them? Now, just to be clear... We're not ever supposed to amplify anybody as, you know, holy in themselves or that they're, you know, above God or that they're, you know, something, you know, beyond, you know, something supernatural in themselves. But I do think there is a place for having a delight in the saints. And I'm not, I'm talking about... uh, Christians, not necessarily churchgoers, not necessarily, not even all people who say they're Christian. I'm talking about Christians, born-again believers, people who have a regenerate heart, who have, are being transformed by God. Now, obviously, only God knows what happens in the heart. The Bible says if you can believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are a Christian. It's that simple. Obviously, no one knows what happens in the heart except God. But I do think that we can seek out this kind of noble nature. And I do think there are examples of that, which I'll get to in a moment. But I'd ask you guys, you know, do you have, do you see that? Do you know people that you would think of as as noble, fellow Christians? Do you know fellow Christians that you would say, I find all my delight in them? A term seems so distant, I think. And, uh, you know, again, getting real, it's, I'm talking about, you know, Christians. People who have this live, alive and active relationship with Jesus Christ. So what does that mean, though? To, be, to find your delight in these noble saints. I'll give you guys a practical example. I think of someone like Giannis. Love this guy. He's awesome. And I think of how, as I've, as I've met Giannis and I've, as I've seen Giannis saying yes to God and kind of stepping out in what God's calling him to do, It's been a delight to my soul to see how God has been using him and working in him and molding him and and just kind of preparing him. That's a delight to me. So I can be like, yeah, Giannis is is noble. (laughs) And a delight to my soul. And we should seek that. We should be looking for people that we can have a delight in. Be excited for what God's doing in their life. Be excited for how God's plan is working out in them. 
You know, David, you know, is the man after God's own heart. He was the king. He had a, just a lot of, you know, clout. He had a lot of things going for him. And yet he says, my delight is in others. My delight is in seeing how God is using these people, how God is working through these people. And so I think it's just another way of kind of bringing the focus off of ourselves. God, you know, what about me? You know, what do you want me to do? But seeing that in other people and finding true joy and delight in it, I think that's something that is refreshing and something that we should be seeking out more and more. Now, I know that uh, a lot of Christians today, you might be thinking... There's hypocrisy and, you know, just a bunch of crazies. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to be hanging out with these guys. And I know that, that there is definitely some truth in that. But I'd also encourage you that none of us are perfect. We all fall short. And also, in seeking that, in seeking to find delight in how God is using and working in other people's lives in a way that they are, you would call them noble, You would be honored to see that in them. I would say that uh, if you're not finding that, then one, you, you might not be looking that hard. Or two, you might not have the same treasures as they do. You might not have the same desires that they do. And so you're going to just kind of be missing each other as their desire or their uh, treasure is, is God. They put God as supreme treasure in their life. If that's not your treasure, you're going to maybe miss those opportunities to see that in others and to find that delight in God's just work in other people's lives and through other people's lives. And again, all, all that's about is just, you know, today, you know, we don't have to do rituals and sacrifices and we just have to say yes to God. We just have to be saying yes to God. And so it's, it's a, a good thing to find delight in seeing that, seeing people saying yes to God and being honored to just even be a part of being able to see that in their lives. Verse 4. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Now, libations is just offerings, blood offerings. It would be to any god, any deity. And David is kind of taking what we saw in verse 3, where he says, I have no good thing apart from you. And he takes it, I think, a step further in kind of pointing out the other side of going the other way. That those who go after other gods, What's other gods? Well, that's anything that is your supreme treasure that isn't God. Anything that is your ultimate desire, your ultimate goal. If it's not God, then it's other gods. Anything that would, you would seek to find your satisfaction, to find your true pleasure. And David is saying that when we seek those things, we're going to find really quickly that they don't live up to the hype and that they only bring sorrow and suffering. And David makes the point, I'm not going anywhere. I want nothing to do with that stuff. You're not even going to hear me talking about it. 
I wouldn't even say their names. It's like, you know, uh, like Harry Potter, the things that shall not be named. Anything that fits into this category. He's saying, I'm not, I want nothing to do with it. I don't even want to talk about it. And that's something that, you know, let's, don't even mess with it. Don't even go near it. And uh, I think a lot of this stuff today becomes a little more complicated because, you know, not a lot of us are, you know, going to pagan gods and, you know, every now and then secretly to, you know, worship the sun god or something. It's usually things that aren't inherently evil. They're not inherently bad. But we have to watch our heart and see how things, what are we seeking in that? What are we wanting in that? And it could be, you know, sex or alcohol or social media or Netflix. It could be bad or unhealthy relationships. We want to put nothing as supreme treasure in our lives above God. Again, those things aren't necessarily inherently bad, but if that's what we're seeking as our treasure, then I think let's reevaluate. Let's try to avoid those things. And maybe even if, even if it's just for a season, going as far as, as David did, obviously, again, applying this to our modern uh, kind of society that we live in, that we would want to just avoid it completely. Not even talk about it. Don't even have it on our lips. Verse 5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. Now this is just re-emphasizing God as everything. God as your all. You are my portion and my cup. And I would just challenge you to ask yourself the question, does that fit your relationship with him? Is he your portion and your cup? Is he your all? This is more than just your Lord, more than just, you know, God that you try to interact with on Sundays. This is all your whole portion, every aspect of your life. Second part of that says, you make my lot secure. This is also an interesting one. Lot is talking about like casting lots, like dice. Basically, this is talking about luck, saying that uh, we, don't, we don't really have, there's, there isn't really luck, there's a sovereign Lord. And he's saying, in, my, in all the areas of my life, it doesn't matter if the dice are rolled or the coin is flipped. It's God who is sovereign over all of those things. And today we don't need any of that. You know, we, we have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And so we have this direct connection with our Father. Something that David didn't have access to. He would be very jealous about what we have access to today. And The point here is that our lot is secure. God is sovereign. We don't need luck in all things. God is going to work it out for good for his children. And in verse 6, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. 
Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Again, another interesting one. I think there's two ways to look at it. Uh, some would, would go right to the, the geography of it, physically, that he was blessed with you know, property that places, and there is probably an aspect of truth in that. He certainly was in his life. And maybe this is a declaration of thanksgiving for those things, but as with most of David's writing, I think it goes deeper than just that. And especially when we look at it in the scope of the Bible and when we look at it in the New Covenant with what we have in our relationship with Jesus. And with that in mind, especially if we tie it in with verse 5, where we see that uh, you know, God is sovereign, He's in control, he, our lot is secure, that today we can read this verse with, with Jesus in mind and know that this this pleasant place and a delightful inheritance is in fact our very relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And our Lord is our portion, our cup, our refuge, our sovereign Lord. And this is our joy. This is our delight that these boundary lines have been drawn and we found ourselves in pleasant places. We found ourselves in the family of God. As the boundary lines were drawn, we found ourselves on the right side in pleasant places in relationship with him and that we are in the adopted family of God, sons and daughters of God. And that we're loved and accepted by him, by a gracious God. That is truly our delightful inheritance. To have relationship with him. To be, to have the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places for us. God makes himself our treasure. In that. He makes himself our treasure. And for us, we should seek to keep him as our treasure, as our delight, as our focus in all areas of our life, as our full portion. Verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. This is one of my favorite verses of all time because I really enjoy sleeping and I love the idea of, my, of God teaching me through my heart even as I'm sleeping. Sounds really good. Sounds like we all just need to sleep more. It's a cool verse. But what is this verse really talking about? What's, what's the point of this? Is it really saying that, that the Lord is instructing us, that our hearts are instructing us as we sleep, is that for real? I say yes, it is. That is for real. That's a real thing. It's in the Bible. But I believe this truth is conditional. And what I mean by that is that, yes, your heart is going to be instructing you as you sleep. But what your heart is instructing you depends on the state of your heart. 
And so the first question, going back to the verse, is God your counselor? If God isn't your counselor, then your heart might be instructing you, it might be giving you ideas, it might be telling you things, but is those things coming from God? Is God your counselor? Depends on the state of your heart. And for that, I want to look at Hebrews 8.10 first. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is God as counselor of your life. This is a quote from Jeremiah Uh, 31, and talking about the new covenant, the covenant that we live in now today. As Christians, we have our hearts and our minds changed as God is our counselor. And he's writing his laws and his truths on our very heart. And this is why our hearts that are inherently evil, I don't know if you knew that, Human hearts tend to produce bad things. The heart is deceitful, the Bible says. But as God is putting his laws on our hearts, as he is our counselor, that begins to change. Because he actually gives us a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, again talking about the new covenant that we're in now. I will give you a new heart And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. And give you a heart of flesh. He is our counselor. And has transformed us by giving us a new heart. As we've come into relationship with him. Our hearts are renewed. And the old one is removed. So we have a heart of flesh that's moldable. Heart of stone. You can't do much with a heart of stone. But a heart of flesh can be molded, can be influenced, can be counseled. And he is our counselor. And you have a new heart and a new spirit that is instructed and taught by God. But I feel like I can't mention that without also mentioning, uh, and I'm not going to read it, but if you want, you can write it down, Romans 12, 1 through 2 that we also need to be renewing our minds. There also needs to be an active seeking, so we can't just sleep, unfortunately, uh, and we can't just trust that God is going to do all the work. We also need to be renewing our minds, and that, in short, is the easiest way to think about it, is that what we fill our hearts with is what is going to be instructing us. What are you putting in is what's going to be the key element of what's instructing you, even as you sleep. So is it God? Is God our our supreme treasure? Is he our supreme counselor? Is his word where we go, what we seek, what we hunger for, what we fill ourselves with? Or is it a lot more movies and social media and all the other stuff? Not Again, not that those things are bad. But they can't be our they can't be supreme in our lives. They can't be if we put them if we get our counsel from them, then they're gonna be the things that are instructing us. Our hearts are going to reflect 
what they're filled with. So in the name of being instructed as we sleep, also keep in mind that everything else that you put in there is also influencing your heart as you sleep. So be cautious and careful about what is getting influence on your heart. Now, for the next few verses, verses 8 through 11, I'll mention really quickly, especially for those of you who know the Bible well and might be wondering if I hadn't noticed that uh, this, is, this passage is quoted in the New Testament uh, by Peter and by Paul. They quote David in Psalm 16. And uh, Peter quotes the largest section. He actually quotes 8 to 11. And uh, we aren't going to spend a lot of time on it, but I did want to mention that it is there. And they bring it up as a prophecy that David was prophesying about Jesus uh, in this in these verses here. And so just to kind of, again, give us an idea as we're going through, I'll kind of point out a few things as we go. Verse 8, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. This is also a great verse and an encouraging verse for us. I will not be shaken. And again, as I mentioned at the beginning, there's this kind of transition that David does a lot. So we saw him at the beginning, God... Keep me secure, God, keep, you know, help me. This kind of cry out, this petition to God. And now we see him boldly and confidently state, I will not be shaken. I, and another translations, I will not be moved. I am going to be firmly planted. But note his action. His action is that his eyes are on the Lord. And when his eyes are on the Lord, when our eyes are on the Lord, we cannot and we will not be shaken. And I like moved better because you can get shaken and not moved. And I know that in my life, I've definitely had times where I've been shaken but not moved. Sometimes we get rattled. Sometimes we have doubts. Sometimes we have fears. Sometimes we have things that we're struggling with and they can shake us. But when our eyes are on the Lord, we're not going to be moved. And it's never fun to be shaken, to be moved, to be kind of rattled by fears and doubts and and loss and things that we struggle with. But if our eyes are fixed on Him, we will not be moved. But they have to be fixed on Him. He has to be supreme treasure, our desire in our hearts. It doesn't mean that we don't sometimes look away, that we don't have... Moments of weakness, but I think the more that we seek him, the more we're going to want to seek him, as we sang today, actually. So verse 9 and 10, Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Now this I do believe has uh, some elements for us, and also it's kind of points to David having maybe even a fear of, of dealing with death, or we don't really know. But I think that uh, we're going to. I'm going to point out that this is what Peter quotes as a prophecy about Jesus, and um, he pro- he quotes that again, verse eight through eleven. And uh, this is the sermon at Pentecost, one of the most, in my opinion, maybe the greatest sermon of all time. 
And he stands up, you know, they, the tongues of fire come down, and maybe I hope you guys know a little bit about that. We just celebrated a couple of weeks ago. And uh, everyone outside the building thinks these guys are drunk, they're nuts, it's like 10 in the morning, who's, you know, who's that happy and excited about life at 10 in the morning? I don't know what time it was, but um, they clearly thought it's way too early for them to be this excited and this happy and be yelling and you know, singing and dancing. And so he goes out and, and preaches this amazing sermon. I would encourage you to read it. It's in Acts uh, chapter 2. But after he quotes this, just to kind of tie in with what we're looking at today, he says this about the passage, and that's what I'm going to read. So that's Acts 2, 29 through 32. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day, pointing out that clearly David wasn't talking about himself because he did die. Verse 30 but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, again quoting it, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Now, there's a lot we could unpack there. Fortunately, we're going to have to start heading towards the end slowly. We've only got like maybe an hour of preaching left. Jesus did die. He was buried for three days. The significance of that being that uh, the decay wouldn't have set in. This is what uh, Peter's kind of emphasizing and pointing out the amazement, or the, just how amazing it is that David so long ago saw this so clearly, uh, what would happen. Peter also states that David knew this, and uh, this was because he was actually told by the prophet Nathan, or told by God, through the prophet Nathan rather, in Second Samuel 7, 12-13, I'll read really quickly. When your days are over, again, this is him talking to David, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And again, so David knew this. And some might say, well, maybe is he talking about Solomon, his son, who actually built the temple? But Solomon's temple didn't last, or Solomon's kingdom didn't last forever. And Jesus even refers to himself as the temple in the New Testament. This is about Jesus. And David saw this, saw a glimpse of what was to come. And I believe enviously, as I mentioned already, he looked to what was to come, where people had this relationship with God, where God didn't. You know, it wasn't just a book. Thank, thank God we have the book. But we also have it in our hearts. We're also being transformed from the inside. We also have this kind of close relationship we can have with God. So David died, but Jesus also came. That's the truth I want to point out from that. Just to emphasize how, how together the Bible comes. Going all the way back to David all the way 
to Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, to Peter at Pentecost, there's always this connection and it always points back to Jesus Christ. So in closing, we'll read the last of our psalm, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And that is a truth for us today. That Jesus is the path of life. He is the only path of life. And in our relationship with him, we have this tremendous joy, this delight as we live in the presence of God. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. They didn't live in the presence of God as we can in our relationship through Jesus Christ with God our Father. That's amazing. That is something to get excited about. That's something to kind of reignite our passion and to set him again as our delight, as our treasure, and to seek him in all things. And I'll finish with this verse in Romans 8, 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. That's powerful, powerful verse. The key that I want to point out, though, is what, what is the proof? What is the evidence? What is the, the kind of a, how does it look to have this mark of having the one who raised Christ from the dead living in you? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. It's when God is your treasure. Again, not, that doesn't mean that you don't have times where you're directed over here or kind of maybe distracted and different seasons of your life, but ultimately putting him closer and putting him more as supreme treasure in your life is a sign that that spirit is in you today. When we put God in this position, it's not only for God's glory, it's ultimately for God's glory, it's ultimately all for God's glory, but it's also for our joy. It's a satisfaction and a joy and a pleasure. When we put him as, again, from John Piper's safest refuge, the one we turn to when things are rough, as our supreme treasure, our ultimate desire, the thing that we put as, the, that we seek above all other things, and our sovereign Lord, that we know that there's no, it's not luck, it's not accidents, it's God who is sovereignly working in us and through us, as we go through life. He is pulling us through this life and your trusted counselor, that he is counseling you, directing your heart, putting his laws in you, and also, even as you sleep, he's instructing you. I'll invite the band to come back up. Now, if that's not you, maybe you're, you're not sure about all that or you're kind of just checking all of this out, not to, you know, don't have that relationship with God, don't know if you want it. I just want to let you know that uh, that's no problem in the sense that you're, you're welcome here and, and we're glad you're here. And I personally don't believe it's an accident that you're here. And uh, also that something we really strongly believe is that this is a safe place and that none of us really know all the truth. None of us, all of us are, are figuring 
this life out as we go. And so this is a safe place to ask questions. And questions are always welcome. If you have something that you're like, I don't know exactly what that meant that you said today, please feel free to ask questions. And uh, so I invite you guys to stand. We're going to sing and we're going to just worship God who is our treasure, our desire. And because uh, we have the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead living within us today. So... Mm-hmm.